the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Good morning, friends. Here we are, two Sundays from the end of this church season called Epiphany. Distinguished preacher and writer Peter Gomes describes the season of Epiphany as the season in which the identity of Jesus is made clearer. It is, he writes, the most important season of the church's year because this is the time in which we come to see who Jesus is, where we find him, and what he is about. I agree, but that's not enough for me. Learning about who Jesus is and where we find him and what he is about seems to me to be significant, but only about half of the picture of what this season needs to be about. The other half has to be about us. In order to keep this real and relevant in our lives, this season can't just be relegated to hearing beautiful stories and lovely passages of Scripture kept at safe arm's length. The other half of this season, it seems to me, must be about remembering who we are and where we are to be found and what we are about. The other half is about trying to wrap our heads and our hearts and our hands around the possibility that following Jesus can, in fact, matter in our lives in a very real way. Through the choices that we make, through the relationships we invest in, the thoughts we entertain, the dreams we nurture and follow, and the compassion we cultivate to be God's love and mercy in the world. In short, the other half is about our identity and witness and purpose. The season of Epiphany at its best is a time to remember or discover why and how we make the choices we do every day. A time to consider whether we are willing to face into the invitation to surrender a little bit more in order to follow Jesus. A time to, as the wonderful gospel song says, order my steps in his word. So with that time that we have left, let's get to it. Today we are still sitting with Jesus and his disciples right where we were last week. This sixth chapter of Luke is called the Sermon on the Plain. Similar but slightly different from its more famous scriptural sibling, the Sermon on the Mount, found in the Gospel of Matthew. This discourse is a bit shorter and may have occurred at a different time in Jesus' ministry, but it is similar in structure and tone and emphasis on articulating a set of teachings and a new reality, a different way of seeing and being in the world. Last week, in Amy's wonderful sermon, she suggested there is an opportunity cost inherent in our Christian journey, a spiritual consequence, if you will, to making some of the decisions we make every day. Her sermon reminded me of a wonderful quote by writer Annie Dillard when she wrote, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. 
Amy encouraged us to invest wisely each day through prayer, acts of kindness and generosity, giving and receiving forgiveness, and to the greatest extent possible. She asked us to keep our hearts open to love. I also heard the reminder that Jesus tells us we are blessed not in spite of our brokenness and shortcomings, but through acknowledging all of who we are at each moment of our very complicated lives. The economy of the kingdom of God is to me as confusing at times as it is reassuring, and yet I am always grateful for these reminders as they challenge my unchecked assumptions about who I am and my inherent worth in relation to what I achieve or even how I present myself to the world. In fact, perhaps it is in the moments when I am able to acknowledge and claim the messiness of my choices or ego or fears or mistakes or attempts to do it on my own. It is in those moments that I can then move further into the heart of God, placing my brokenness on the altar of love and in return be seen and maybe even loved back into wholeness. So now today we get the second half of this set of teachings. Today we move beyond the condition of being blessed to hear Jesus' teaching about maybe how we might live in this new reality. If blessed is who we are, now Jesus might want to know what he wants us to do. Today's verses have often been interpreted and described as a set of commandments. We even hear the words that have crossed over into the secular world known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But if I can really get real for just a minute, something has really bothered me all week long. Oh, how I wish Jesus could be one of those five people that I could have dinner with before I die. Because if I did, here is at least one of the things that I would ask this guy. What do we do? All right, let me get real. What do I do when there are people and issues that are so contrary to our most basic sense of human dignity and morality that I can't even fathom being in the same room with them, let alone loving them or forgiving them or simply, and this is the worst, not judging them. And there are two hot examples that come to mind this week. I'll try to keep this brief. First, in our own Anglican backyard is the tumultuous news that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has just made the decision to uninvite spouses of gay or lesbian bishops to the 2020 Lambeth Gathering. I have read this news with a mixture of anger and sadness and righteous indignation. It is an ongoing conversation right now, and nothing yet has been decided by our presiding Bishop Michael Curry. But it is clear to me we are nowhere near being able to even invite everyone to the table of God's love to even have a further conversation with dignity and respect. 
this is just as good as therapy. Then there is the heated debate about sexuality roiling on in the Methodist church, culminating probably later today or tomorrow in a decision about the future of their denomination. There is much more to say about this, and I'll talk about it later again. But again, it is another example of how challenging it is to hear Jesus' instructions and then discern a path forward. But then I remember. Then I take a breath and I remember. This is nothing new. This is nothing new for those who have come before. In between the time of the Sermon on the Plain and today, there have been countless struggles by those seeking justice and equality throughout the land. We are not unique, nor are we alone. And at times like this, it is helpful to lean into that cloud of witnesses and remember that we do have sources of strength for the journey. Frankly, I don't have many answers today, or even a whole lot of clarity. But maybe these words from Luke today can help us order our steps. I've wrestled with this again and again and again, and today I want to suggest maybe, rather than hear these words as impossible commands that I'm surely I will fail before noon today, maybe, Maybe we could hear these words today as a promise. As a promise that, in fact, the world we choose to live in doesn't have to be this way. A promise that we can break out of the prisons we have often created on our own, subscribing to the ignorance and arrogance and anger of the world around us. A promise that there is another choice, another path, and that we have agency to choose a better, more kind, more just path. A choice to treat others, in fact, the way that we do want to be treated. A choice to believe that there is enough. In fact, strike that, there is more than enough. You tell me what the topic is. More attention, more love, more food, more security, more dignity, more respect, more humility, more time, all of it. In the Kairos time, in the kingdom of God, in the land where there is no division, there is always more than enough. This is a choice to refute the illusion that we can work this out on our own, that we can outthink, outmaneuver, outsmart our way to success and peace by the world's standards. It's a choice to courageously turn our heads and look in a new direction and to ask humbly for a new way of seeing the entire world. Archbishop Desmond Tutu knew all about this new way of seeing. In his book, God Has a Dream, a Vision of Hope for Our Time, here's how he describes what it means to dream with God. God calls on us to be God's partners to work for a new kind of society where people count, where people matter more than things, people matter more than possessions, where human life is not just respected, but positively revered, where people will be secure and not suffer from the fear of hunger, from ignorance, from disease, 
where there will be more gentleness, more caring, more sharing, more compassion, more laughter, ultimately where there is peace and not war. My beloved friends, this is a big, big, big-ass dream. But so is the kingdom of God. And so are we as children of God, brothers and sisters, made in that image of love, always both broken and blessed. May we indeed order our steps so there is no mistaken identity of where our allegiance lies. May we walk and stumble and get up again and again as citizens of God's realm of shalom. I want to end this morning with a quote I read last week from Bernice King, daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. Truth be told, this could have been my whole sermon, sorry. But maybe by hearing it last, maybe it's what we will remember today. Now that it's time to get up from sitting at Jesus' feet and go out there into a world that is also broken and blessed and to try to practice as best we can all the teachings that Jesus invites us to live our lives by. Bernice King wrote, Jesus didn't call it social justice. He simply called it love. If we would only love our neighbors beyond comfort, beyond borders, beyond race, beyond religion, and beyond other differences that we've allowed to be barriers, Social justice would be a given. Love, and only love, can do that. Let's go get them. <laughs>